Hi, this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We are a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Open your Bibles to John chapter 20 this morning. If you want to use one of the Bibles in the pews, which is in the English Standard Version, what I'll be reading from, it's page 906, John chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at the first 16 verses of that chapter. We're talking about the moment that changes everything. John chapter 20, and we're going to be, begin reading with verse 1. The Bible says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that was, that's John, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the Scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid Him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Father, we pray that you would take your word today and that you would help us to understand it. Father, we pray that you would help us to, to understand um, how really grasping what your resurrection is all about can change everything. Speak to us now, we pray through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you may have heard me tell a story about Gardner Taylor, who was a pastor in New York City for many years, but he was raised in rural Louisiana. And uh, one time, in, as a young man, he was in one of his first sermons he ever preached. He was preaching at an evening service, and there was just one light bulb hanging down from the ceiling, and it flickered and went out, just leaving the congregation and him in pitch dark. Well, he was fumbling around, he was nervous, he didn't, didn't know what to do, and so there's just these moments of, of awkward silence until one of the old guys hollered out from him from, from the back. He said, preach on, preacher, we can still see Jesus in the dark. Sometimes that's when we see Jesus the best, is in the dark times 
of our lives. And we begin this morning with, uh, with someone who was going through a very, very dark time in her life. And she's coming to a darkened tomb. And she was someone who had a dark past. Her name was Mary Magdalene. We begin there this morning with the, her dark past. So we see in verse 1 that on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. What an amazing, remarkable honor. I mean, think about it. To be, to be given the honor of being the first person to talk with the risen Christ. The first one to be at the empty tomb. That such an honor would be given to a woman was totally consistent with the way that Jesus treated women. Because He gave them such a, a, a value and a, a, a dignity, um, but, but it was just revolutionary for that culture. I mean, this was a culture where, where men would wake up and in their daily prayers would thank God for not making them a Gentile or a woman. It was a culture in which the testimony of women was not even admissible in court, which is an argument in and of itself for the fact that the gospel accounts of the resurrection are, are, are not made-up stories. Because if they were going to make up a story, the last thing they would do is make up a story in which the first witnesses of the risen Christ were women whose testimony was not, were, was not admissible in court. It, it was, um, but this was totally consistent you know, with the way that Jesus valued and, and treated women, but very much out of step with that culture. But the fact that this woman, Mary Magdalene, was given that honor was even more remarkable because of her past. It was such a dark Past. She has all kinds of confusion about Mary Magdalene. She's often confused with the Mary of Bethany, the sister of, of Martha and Lazarus, who anoints Jesus in the 12th chapter of John. That's a different Mary. She's often confused with the anonymous woman of Luke 7 that anointed the feet of Jesus and, and cried tears on His feet and, and wiped her tears with her hair. Well, for contextual reasons in Luke 7 and 8, she's almost certainly not that woman. And she's often confused with the, the woman in John 8 who was about to be stoned for adultery until Jesus intervened. Again, for contextual reasons, she, she's certainly not that woman. That's a different woman completely. And then there are all these crazy Gnostic myths that sprung up two or three centuries after the time of Christ, the Gnostics were a, a false religion, sort of a cult. And like all cults, they, they wanted to remake Jesus according to their own, their own uh, fancies, their own image. And so they, they spun all of these stories about the a romantic relationship between Jesus and Mary Magdalene and that they had a child together and, and so forth. Well, these Gnostic myths have been thoroughly discredited. No, no, no serious scholar or historian um, gives them any historical credence whatsoever. But, of course, in the early 2000s, Dan Brown, in his novel The Da Vinci Code, resurrected one of these old Gnostic uh, myths and 
made a boatload of, of money off of it. And, of course, a lot of gullible people were all too ready to, to buy into that. Ben Witherington, who is a New Testament scholar and sort of an expert on, on biblical backgrounds, wrote a book after the Da Vinci Code came out called The Gospel Code, in which he was helping to, people set, to separate fact from fiction. As he was traveling around the country, talking to people, dialoguing with them about these issues, Ben said, person after person came up to him, and they said, you mean like that first paragraph in the Da Vinci Code where it says all of these things that you're going to read are, are, are true? You mean that wasn't true? You mean like that first paragraph was part of the fiction? I mean, we live in a culture that is so incredibly gullible. These Gnostic myths about Jesus and Mary Magdalene, this is written centuries after Jesus actually lived. And when it comes to history, um, the, the, what the more recent information is, is the least valuable information. The gospel accounts are written in the first century by eyewitnesses. Now, these Gnostic myths happen centuries later. That, that's, that's very different for us because we live in a culture where what's the, the newest is the coolest, the latest is the greatest. And that is true when it comes to certain things. It's true, for instance, when it comes to technology. I mean, think about the phone that you had 10 or 15 years ago. I was thinking about how this has changed. And, and when Melissa and I were, were dating, I'm, I'm dating myself here now, but I remember when car phones came out, you know. We were so in love, talking all the time. We thought it was just so great when we could still talk to each other after we said goodnight. As I was driving home, I could call, plug in the phone, you know, and call. That was like the greatest thing, you know. And then phones that you didn't even have to plug in. You know, that, remember that, that first cell phone you had that was just so cool? Now, it weighed 10 pounds, right, and stuck out of your pocket and made my pants droop on, on one side. You know, but man, that was, that, that was so cool at the time. And then Melissa and I got married, and there were hundreds of those really cool VHS tapes, right, M many of which had Barney on, on, on those tapes, and they're, they're now all stuck in the attic. And probably 10 years from now, the iPhone 5 and the iPad 2 is going to be in that as well. Because when it comes to technology, the newest is the coolest. The latest is the greatest. When it comes to history, historical documents, the opposite is true. Old is good. The older the document is, the more reliable it is. New is not as good. Well, the, the four Gospels are written by people. These are eyewitness accounts, contemporary accounts from the first century. When it comes to all these myths, this, this is two, these Gnostic myths are two, three centuries down the road, written in a language that Jesus and his followers didn't even speak. They, they're long discredited. Serious scholars know this. Um, they're... They're fictional. But in Mary Magdalene's case, really, the truth is more sensational than the fiction. The truth of the matter is that, as we see in the 8th chapter of Luke, before she came to know Jesus, Mary Magdalene was demon-possessed. Luke 8-2 tells us that she was possessed by seven demons. Now, we don't know exactly uh, how this 
impacted her life, but from reading the four Gospels and reading about other people that were demon-possessed, we know that her life had to have been tormented and miserable. She was in, in just complete and utter bondage to these demonic spirits. We get some idea of, of what it must have been like when Jesus set her free from this. From, from Mark chapter 5, when, when Jesus cast the demons out of a, a demon-possessed man, and before this man met Jesus, he, he, was, uh, he, he was, had been thrown out of the city because demon-possessed people, they were, they were socially isolated, weren't able to be around people anymore. And so this man had been cast out of the city. He lived in a, in a graveyard. He was, he was harming himself. He was, he was cutting himself with stones. He was crying out incoherently. When, when he encounters Jesus, the demons are so in charge of, of this man that, that, that the demons actually, when this man opens his mouth to speak, it's the demons that speak through his lips. This is what it was like to be demon-possessed. And this is what Mary Magdalene's life had been like. And, and, and one day, in the grace of God, she meets Jesus. And he unshackles her. He, he, sets, he sets her free, and, and she's given a, 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 a new life. In and, and, and Mark 5, when this, when this man was healed by Jesus, when the demons were cast out, it says that all he wanted to do was be with Jesus. He, he was sitting there just in his right mind and tranquil and whole and at peace, and he, he just wanted to follow Jesus everywhere. And, and that was the case with Mary Magdalene. That's what she did. Uh, she didn't have a, a, a family to take care of, and so these followers of Jesus really became her family. And she, she and some other women followed Jesus. They, they supported uh, his, his ministry, uh, traveled with him. And by the way, if there had been anything, even a hint of anything sexual about this, the enemies of Jesus would have pounced on it immediately and, and accused him. But the one thing that you never see out of all the accusations that are hurled against Jesus, you, you never see this. You, you never see it. Now, this was, this was, people knew this was a completely pure thing. These, these were women whose whole lives had become devoted to, to spiritual things out of love for Christ and because of what He had done for them. Now note the pattern here. The pattern is, first of all, Jesus changes our lives, Jesus saves us, and then out of love for Him, we want to serve Him. Mary Magdalene and these other women, they, they, were, they were not uh, serving Christ because they were trying to earn anything from Him. He had already given them everything. They wanted to serve Him out of love for Him because they had, been, they had been given so much love by Him. And that's the pattern in our lives. First of all, we're saved by grace. Mary Magdalene couldn't do one thing to save herself. She was totally helpless. It was all of grace. It was all Christ. And that's the way it is when God saves us. You know, we, we can't do anything to contribute 
to our salvation. Uh, all we can do is, is, is look to Christ with an empty hand of faith and just cling to His cross, cling to what He's already done for us. And when we understand what He's done for us, then we love Him. We love Him and we want to serve Him and we want to obey Him. This is the sequence. Matthew, Mark, and John all tell us that Mary Magdalene was present at the crucifixion. She stood by the cross. And just imagine what this must have been like. I mean, here she is, the one person that had the power to change her life and that has changed her life. The, the, the one person that had shown her unconditional love has been beaten and flogged and, 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 and crucified to, to the point that he was practically beyond human recognition as we saw in Isaiah 53 just last week. I mean, imagine what this must have been like for her to, to witness this, this horror. And yet she stood by the cross. Long after the, the, the men had, 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 had left and fled, Mary Magdalene and these other women stayed by the cross. Despite the danger from the mob, they stayed. And Mark 15 tells us, that the only reason the disciples even knew where Jesus was buried was because Mary and some of these other women followed after Joseph of Arimathea when he placed Jesus in the tomb. And now she's coming to that tomb to anoint his body with spices. And there they make a disturbing discovery. Look at verse 1 again. Now on the first day of the week... Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the, to- the stone had been taken away from the tomb. In Greek, in verses 1 and 2, it, it just, it's so dramatic because John writes everything in the present tense. Literally, it says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene comes to the tomb early while it is still dark and sees that the stone has been taken away from the tomb. Now, let me tell you what she was not thinking at this point. She is not thinking resurrection. That, is not, that doesn't even cross her mind at this point. What she is thinking is grave robbery, which was very common in that day. She's thinking that someone has tampered with this tomb, tampered with his body, which was just another cruel twist of the knife. She's hysterical. She's crying. She, she runs and gets Peter and John. They take off and run toward the tomb. John, who was probably a generation younger than Peter, reaches the tomb first. And, and then the really mind-blowing things begin to happen. Then we see a divine revelation. Verse 5. Verse 5 tells us that, um, that, that, that John, stooping to look in, the, the entryway would have been about a yard high, and so you would have had to stoop to see into the tomb. Stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Now, verse 4 tells us that Peter had... Uh, 
that John had gotten there first, but he did not go in. Peter comes along after him, but, but, but Peter, with his personality, uh, very forceful, goes into the tomb, but John was still kind of hanging around outside. But then in verse 5, it says that John stoops to look in, and he sees the linen cloths lying there. Now, the fact that those linen cloths were there was proof positive that this is not grave robbers who have been at work. Because the whole reason that they robbed the graves was to get these expensive linen cloths. New Testament scholar F.F. Bruce says that the, the fact that these expensive linen cloths were still in the tomb was sure, a surefire signal that this is no body removal. Something else is going on. Gets even more intriguing in verses 6 and, and 7. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Grave robbers didn't do this. They didn't leave the expensive cloths behind, let alone fold them up. No, this is as if someone is sending a message. <laughs> sending a message that uh, I won't be needing these anymore. Sending a message that, uh, that death itself has been folded up and put aside. That death has been conquered. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, death has been swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? He's, he's, he's taunting death. As Christ is, is doing here. You see, death was not a part of God's original creation. It's not a part of God's original creation. God created a world without death. And God is bringing about a new creation. If you know Christ as your Savior, you're a part of that new creation. Death was not a part of the old creation, and, God, and death is not a part of the new creation that God is bringing about. The resurrection of Christ is the first signal of that new creation, the first sign of that new creation, in which there is a death of death. It's a time when, as... J.R.R. Tolkien says in Lord of the Rings, when everything sad is going to come untrue. Death has been conquered. And in verse 8, it begins to dawn on John. Look at it. Then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. Now John is seeing the same thing that Peter saw. When Peter went in. But John sees more. <laughs> sees much more. Because in a moment that was unforgettable and indescribable and irresistible, something surges in John's heart. And God opens the eyes of his heart. And, and, and he sees and believes. John knows what's happened here. He knows that Christ 
has been raised. This is the moment for John. You know, this is like Martin Luther's moment when he was reading the book of Romans that day and and, and, and all of his life, you know, Martin Luther had heard about the righteousness of God. But that wasn't good news to him. Because he knew that he was unrighteous, as we all are. And so he thought of the righteousness of God as something that condemned him. And then as he was studying the book of Romans one day, he came to understand that there was, there was also a righteousness from God that could be His if He would just trust in the Savior. He came to understand that, uh, that the work had been done, that Christ had done it, and that he, if He would just rest in the, the finished work and what Christ had already done for Him, that He could be forgiven, free, that He could have a righteousness from God that would be credited to His account as a gift. Martin Luther said, when I understood that, It was as if the gates of paradise swung open and I walked through. Now, this is what's happening to John at this moment. This is his his moment. That moment has not yet come for Mary Magdalene. Verse 11 tells us that she was still outside of the tomb, uh, weeping. She's, She's inconsolable. And then for some reason she... She peers into the tomb. And she sees what? Verse 12. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Now this this question is like a gentle rebuke in a way. Because the angel is saying to her, Mary, you're, you're crying at a time when you shouldn't be crying. This is, this is a moment not for crying. This is a moment for rejoicing. In U2's uh, Grammy Award winning album, All That You Can't Leave Behind, there's a song called Stuck in a Moment You Can't Get Out Of. And the song right before that is their hit song, Beautiful Day. Sometimes we can't embrace or experience or enjoy the beautiful day, the the future that God has for us, the moment that's before us because we're stuck in the moment that's behind us. And that's where Mary Magdalene is. She's still stuck in the moment behind her. And we, we still we see that in, in, in verse 13. She, she says to them, to the angels, they've taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have, have laid Him. But just at that moment, she senses someone behind her. And sometimes that happens. You, you sense someone else is there. You sense someone's behind you. And she wheels around And verse 14 tells us what happens next. Having said this, she turned around, saw Jesus standing. But she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing Him to be the gardener, 
She said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. (laughs) Mary speaks more than what she understands. (laughs) Because this is a gardener. (laughs) This is the one who created the Garden of Eden. This is the one who is is creating a, 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 a new garden, a new Eden, in which there will be no more death, no more tears. Just like the first Eden. And now comes her moment. It's her turn. It's her time. Jesus knows that what it's going to take for her to understand who he is. And that is, if he says her name, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni! which means teacher. Jesus knows that if he just says her name, she's going to know who it is. You know, in John chapter 10 and verses 3 and 4, it says that, um, it says that Jesus calls his sheep by name. And they know his voice. Is that the case with you today? Do you know him today? You say, I'm doing the best I can. Friend, this is not a matter of you doing the best you can. (laughs) This is a matter of understanding what has already been done. This has been done. You don't light a candle in the middle of the day at, at, at noon if the sun is out and walk outside into the sunshine with a candle. This has been done for us. Last week we looked at the cross. We saw that, that, that on the cross, one of the things that Jesus cries out from the cross is paid in full. The debt has been paid. It is finished. The work is done. Our sins have been paid for. Christ is risen. It's been done. Our part now is to simply look to Jesus. Look to Him. And trust Him. Trust. Rest. And what He's already done for us and experienced the new life and the eternal life that He offers as a free gift. And when we do that, just out of love for Him, out of loving gratitude to Him, then we have a desire to obey Him and serve Him. But first of all, we, we have to understand and trust in what he's, has already been done. The risen Christ invites you to do that this day. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for what has been accomplished on our behalf. If we, if we really understood this and would have an awareness of this moment by moment, it would change everything about our lives. Because no matter what else is happening in our lives or ever could happen, the ultimate bottom line reality is that Jesus is alive and, 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 and He has paid the penalty for sins. And, and because of that, everything can be changed. All can be made new. Even the trials of this life are just so temporary. So temporary, just like a moment in time. We're going to have eternity with You. We're going to live because You live. We just continue to to bow before God for a few moments. Listen, do you 
know that you've trusted in Christ as your Savior. Uh, The work has been done. Uh, Our part is just to look to Christ with an empty hand of faith and receive what He's done for us. Have, Have you received Christ as your Savior? You can do it today, right now, right where you are. Turn to Him. Trust Him today. Just a moment, we're going to sing a song of of invitation. If you've trusted in Christ, we want to invite you to to come. I'm going to be here at the front. Just come and share with me what God has done in your life today. Or maybe you're here this morning and God's speaking to you about being a part of our church family. We want to invite you to come. We want to welcome you. Maybe you're here today and you just need to pray with someone. We, we invite you to come forward. There are men and women here that would love to pray with you. So, Heavenly Father, we give you now this time of decision. Would you work in hearts and lives now for your glory's sake? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this service of First Baptist Church. We hope you've been strengthened in your faith. We want to encourage you to visit our website at fbcsuffolk.org for more information about the church and about following Jesus. God bless you today.